Welcome back to Miss Radio. This is Gabe Sanders. You're about to hear my conversation with Jack Murphy, the deputy director of the Veterans Transition Center in Marina. We talked about homelessness. We talked about veteran homelessness. Jack is a veteran himself and has a very apt perspective on how to serve his fellow veterans who have found themselves without shelter. There are all sorts of circumstances that lead to that. We talked about that for sure. We also talked about how to best serve the homeless population, whether veterans or otherwise, and what these people can offer once they're given shelter. We also talked about Jack's plans to use the Homeless Emergency Assistance Program funding that's coming into Monterey County in the order of about $10.5 million. This funding is coming from the state, and it's a one-time infusion of cash to build shelters, to expand services, and essentially find better ways to serve the homeless population here. The Veterans Transition Center is just that, a transition center. They offer an opportunity to the people that enter the building and stay there and adhere to the guidelines to get out of homelessness, to find their way back into society as functioning, tax-paying members of the community. And that's who they are, even before they've made their transition from being homeless to being employed and in a home. They are members of the community, and I do not want any of you to forget that. Jack certainly has not, and you're going to hear about his plan to use some of that money to build a shelter into the basement of the Veterans Transition Center, as well as the challenges faced by that plan and anybody who's trying to put that money to use, that HEAP funding. All right, without any further ado, here's Jack Murphy, Deputy Director of the Veterans Transition Center. All right, it's February 20th. I'm here with Jack Murphy. Tell me, what is your title here at the Veterans Transition Center? I am the Deputy Executive Director at the Veterans Transition Center. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Been around for almost 21 years. We exclusively serve homeless and at-risk veterans and their families. Uh, that is, I say exclusive, that came from, a, from the original application, yeah. how we were deeded these properties that we have uh, deeded by the federal government um, in the Central Coast geographic area, you know, about a 200-mile span. We are the only uh, transitional housing program that exclusively serves veterans and families. Okay. Well, we'll get back to that exclusivity soon because I have a feeling that that's something that might change if this mm -hmm. plan goes through. But uh, you were in the service. What was your? What what specifically was your service? To the uh, I spent 21 years in the army on active duty. Uh, I retired as a lieutenant colonel in June of 2016. Uh, had a lot of fun. It was uh, per personally and professionally very rewarding, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and uh, I got out. My, my story is I basically got out and was living here in Monterey, California with my wife and kids. I didn't know a soul other than my wife and kids. And uh, I kind of had a feeling of being lost, of just being adrift. Uh, I needed to, to find my sense of balance and being again and I started volunteering at veterans organizations uh, that's where I felt at home was helping people that's what you do when you're in the, in the military you serve for others and I ended up here at the Veterans Transition Center and a couple of places um, and eventually you know after a few months of volunteering here they offered me a position. Wow so it was about 
two or three years between the end of your service and becoming an, an employee here? No, no, it was about um, or less six months. Six months, okay. Yeah, six, wow. seven months later. You move quick. Um, I was I was floundering. I needed to. I feel you. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I ended up in Monterey at the institute. Mm-hmm. Um, kid in my mid twenties, no direction, but I could tell that there was something pulling me mm-hmm. in away from simple, you know, customer service jobs and things like that that you can do with a bachelor's degree. You were looking for a purpose other than profit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to conceive of for some, especially people. in this area. Yeah. yeah, especially in this area. So, when I walked in, I talked to Diego at the desk, mm-hmm. and I, you know, just looking at him, I wouldn't have known unless he had told me after I asked him how long he'd been working here. I wouldn't have known he was a homeless vet. I wouldn't know that he's volunteering here, um, which made me want to know, by your perspective, when you work with homeless veterans, um, what are their, like, how, how are their needs and abilities different from the homeless population at large or just general population? Anecdotally, the biggest difference between the homeless veteran community and the the regular veteran community, I think, has to do with the trauma that veterans endure, for one. Uh, Your average homeless person, considering all things being the same, the amount of time that you've been homeless, chronically homeless, living on the streets and you know underneath shrubs and trees if all those things are the same the exception is likely that the veteran during the course of their service experienced additional trauma or more acute trauma uh, whether it was military sexual trauma whether it was uh, trauma that comes from just being in a you know, combat operation deployed environment something like that that was not that can't be shared or, or is not common with the regular homeless community. That, that's one distinction. The, the other one is that most of the veteran community has the benefit and in some ways the luxury of the VA, mm-hmm. the Department of Veterans Affairs being this, this very large backstop, this very large uh, safety net of services. Everything from housing to uh, medical to benefits that's all available to veterans and it's kind of incongruent but sometimes veterans end up with trauma by virtue of trying to connect with the VA to improve their their lot in life Um, I work with a veteran here who is deathly afraid of receiving mail from the VA this veteran applies for a um, a service connection that I believe rightfully he, he deserves, but he's been shot down or turned down so many times that the idea of reapplying traumatizes him because he, he, he'll open up the mail and he'll start with, Dear Mr. So-and-so, unfortunately, and it just goes downhill from there. Yeah. So while the VA is, is, a, is a great organization and it's come many, many light years from what it used to be. I think the horror stories that people hear, you know, post-Vietnam and and during the 80s, it's gotten a lot better. But there are still veterans out there that haven't, for one reason or another, sought out the VA to get the support that they need. Mm. Uh, Within the homeless community, that support really is, is mental health 
it is substance abuse, uh, you know, either counseling or treatment. Uh, and then the VA has these wonderful housing programs, uh, HUD-VASH being one of them, where it's essentially like a Section 8 voucher. Mm -hmm. you know, the VA equivalent would be the VASH, the, uh, the supportive housing voucher. Uh, case management comes with it. There are VA programs that will pay your first and last, uh, which in a place like you know, Central Coastal California, first and last on a, on a one-bedroom apartment you know, could be $3,500, $4,000 very easily. And if you're coming out of homelessness or you're, if you're marginalized economically, it's hard to come up with the security deposit right. and the, uh, you know, your first month's payment without some type of rental assistance program. Like I said, the VA offers it, but in order to be able to access those services, you've got to register. And sometimes veterans don't want to do that. What would what would compel them to kind of keep themselves unregistered? Do they are they is that a consequence of a trauma that they've experienced, or just a consequence of, of you know trauma or distrust uh, of the VA? Okay, you know they've been burned by the VA once, and I'm not going to do it again. I see. Uh, I was talking to another veteran today um, who experienced some genuine traumatic events during her time on active duty. But for her to apply for the benefits mean, it means sitting down with a counselor, mm. gathering all the documentation, writing out in detail everything that occurred to you during that period of time when you were on active duty, how that affected you then. And since then, five, six, eight, ten, twelve years later, you're still suffering from that trauma. And, and this random person says, hey, let's sit down and relive this whole thing. Right. Put it on paper, and I'm going to get you a service connection. That, that's really hard for some people to do. And that's not something that the lay homeless person would have to endure. Right. As far as, that, that, that was more along the lines of needs, but when you get a veteran here like Diego, who mm -hmm. says, you know, I volunteer here when I can. Um, he, he, the, the kind of poise that he demonstrated shows me he's not somebody that I need to pity. He's not somebody that anybody needs to look down upon for any reason. He seems like a perfectly capable human. Mm -hmm. So what do you find in veterans that you might not find in another homeless person or general population? What can they do that contributes to their community? We'll get to what can they do in a second. If I forget, please come back to me yeah. on that. But the, the big difference, and I'll use Diego as an example. Yeah. Diego feels a tremendous sense of loyalty, a tremendous sense of duty. He wants to contribute to the team. He wants to be a valuable member of this organization. And in this case, this, I'm not talking about the Veterans Transition Center as an organization. It's really of this community. We have 109 or so people in our program. Not all of them are veterans because we have right. children and, and, and spouses. But there are 100 people that he feels connected to as a brother or sister because the, of, this, of this common thread of having served, of being veterans. So he, he feels like he's back in the ranks, whether his time was in the Army in a platoon or spending some time uh, you know, on a Navy vessel working with his detachment or something like that, he feels like he's back to being part of something. So for a guy like Diego to contribute to our community here at the Veterans Transition Center makes him feel more normal. 
the skills he has as a veteran, and I'm talking personality skills, personality traits, uh, are, are remarkable. You hear it all the time, whether you're looking on LinkedIn or various job boards uh, around military installations, military communities, everybody wants to hire vets. And the reason is that you're, you, you present well, you're articulate, you're focused, you want to accomplish your mission. Uh, you're generally you know, going to be 10 minutes early, otherwise you're, you, know, you consider that late yourself. Uh, and you're gonna, you, you know, you're gonna be there for a reason. You have a purpose. It's not just a job. That is a discriminator, I think. And it's very easy to see. I mean, you saw it yourself, mm-hmm. Diego. You didn't know him from it's anything. Easy. And here's a guy who's like, "Hi, how are you? How can I help you?" Presents well, uh, makes eye contact. You know, he, everything that you would want in a soldier. Right. Is you wouldn't know he's homeless. Yeah. You wouldn't know he's homeless. We're, we're going to have a conversation on the podcast sometime in the next couple of weeks with some veterans on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a ton of return veterans who come through MISS through all different programs, not just the non-proliferation terrorism studies stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about the kind of the stereotypes and the things that veterans would like us to know about them uh, in terms of dispelling mythologies and dispelling misconceptions. So I just wanted to get that out there because I had a really stark experience just now with one person. Um, that was, for me, yeah, that, sometimes that one interaction makes a huge difference. Um, how, how easy is it to get somebody who's in that position of being homeless to the point where they can function on their own, they can work, they can talk about you know, that, that blows my mind, where I asked him, how long have you been working here? He says, well, I'm a resident. I volunteer here when I can. What does the journey usually look like from the moment that you meet a homeless veteran to the point where they can start helping other homeless veterans themselves functioning in their community? It's, I think it's different for every person who walks through the doors here. Um, in the case of the one gentleman that you met, he's, a, he's fortunate in that he didn't have a long period of homelessness before he came to us. Uh, statistically, according to HUD, if you're on the streets for more than about 90 days, and this is you know, on the streets, uh, you're increasingly harder. With every day that goes by, you're harder to bring back out of homelessness. You know, We, we kind of joke about it with the staff here that you could take a veteran out of homelessness, but in in the case where someone's been homeless for years, it's really hard to take the homelessness out of a veteran. And it's frustrating sometimes, and, and like I said, we kid around about it, where a veteran walks in and, and you know, you can look at his history, ask him some questions, check the VA medical records computer system, and see where someone's been chronically homeless for eight, 10, 12 years. That's not uncommon around yeah. here. And they present that way. The uh, their their chronological age is way, way beyond their biological age. They look older than they really are. They, you know, they uh, have just experienced a lot out in, you know, in an unsheltered environment. And we give them, on the day they move in, we give them uh, a laundry basket with uh, clean clothes, clean linens. We take them back to the food pantry. We give them hygiene items, you know, shaving kit, shampoo, soap. Uh, we give them laundry detergent, take them down to their house. And this is a, a, a duplex that they'll share. You know, each, each veteran has his or her own room with a lock and key. So it's, 
they actually had their own space for once. And uh, they have to share the, the bathrooms and the kitchen, the living rooms and whatnot. And we say, hey, wash your clothes. Let your hair down, relax, let your guard down. And that mm-hmm. takes a while, yeah. uh, sometimes a couple of days, if not weeks. Uh, make yourself at home and come back and see us the next day. We don't ask a lot on day one. And it, it's not uncommon for the veteran to come right back the next day wearing the clothes that we brought him in with. Even though we gave him all this stuff and said, hey, you know, take a shower. Um, change your clothes. It, when, when that's all you have and, and you're so incredibly conditioned to living in that environment, regardless of what you give them, it, sometimes it takes a long time weeks, months even, for someone to get to the point where they'll shave, they'll get a haircut, they'll change their clothes. Other veterans we've had in here, two, three days later, they're, they look like a completely different person. So it varies by individual. I think the driving factor is, well, there are a couple, uh, the, the length of homelessness, the, the mental stability, Mental health from a, from a mental health standpoint, uh, and substance use, right, or abuse. Uh, the nexus of all those of those three events, where or not those three events, those three uh, factors, where you've been homeless for years, uh, that in and of itself is going to cause a lot of anguish, a lot of stress, could lead to mental health problems, or likely you already had mental health problems, which led you to your homelessness. And then in order to ameliorate that environment, make the cold evening a little bit more bearable, you go to a substance, or that is just your way to, to keep things manageable. And over years of time, a period of time, it just becomes harder and harder, and you take more and more and more. And, and unfortunately, there is a, a, there's a truth to the fact that uh, a lot of homeless, especially now where you're hitting Call you know the lower part of the barrel, uh, the harder ones to house. We increasingly are seeing more challenging mental health and substance disorders. In recent years, there have been more people with more difficult issues. That, that, that's that the trend. With. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another way to phrase it is the folks that were easy to house have been housed. I see. The ones that were high functioning, that were that that were capable that had a desire, maybe were still employable, or if not working, those folks have been housed. They have sought out the system, and the system works. Uh, in this area, our, the numbers of, of homeless veterans has, has been trending down for the last couple of years. Uh, we still have homeless veterans. Some of them don't want to be housed. Bad weather, winter season, we're really getting to the to the more challenging vets. Uh, that well, you just said some of them don't want to be housed. Uh, I've heard different statistics, and it's, it's hard to believe that there would be statistics for this mm-hmm. kind of thing. But the number of homeless people who do not want to be housed how what what is their explanation for that, if any, when you encounter somebody? I I'm trying to imagine the scenario where you'd find somebody offer them shelter, transitional services, and they say no. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is, is there any common factor there that you've seen? 
the freedom that comes with being out in the open to do whatever you want. That is tied to being able to use all the substances you want with no one looking over your shoulder or second-guessing your, your use. Uh, mental health is a component of that because if you come to a program such as ours, transitional housing program or the residential shelter program that we have, there are rules. Some people feel very confined or constrained by those rules. They're unable to process things that you and I would take for granted as common courtesies. Uh, doesn't work with them. Uh, they're not used to having housemates or roommates even. Uh, so they, most people who are homeless have at one point or many periods of time have been in shelters, have been in transitional housing, and for whatever reason it can work out. So they end up back out in, in an unsheltered environment. And it has to do with they didn't want to follow the rules or they felt constrained. There are folks that I've run into personally when I do outreach uh, who think we're the VA. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to, I don't yeah. want anything to do with the VA. Brother, I'm not the VA. I'm a nonprofit. We just want to house you because I recognize that you're a veteran. I don't have anything to do with the VA. And we just keep having this conversation over and over again. Uh, because they experienced a challenge with yeah. the VA at one time. And that, that's a sad one. Um, there are veterans who don't realize or acknowledge that they're veterans. Some people, they hear veteran and they construe that you must have had to go to combat. And that's not the case. You just had to have served right. at one point in the military. Uh, there, I've run into veterans who served for many years in the Guard and the Reserve. That doesn't qualify you for VA services. Uh, huh. There are veterans that we run into who have served on active duty, but they didn't serve at the right period uh, for the right length of time, didn't meet certain benchmarks on active duty, so then they don't qualify for VA medical. They'll qualify for VA housing, but not the medical portion of it. Wow. So depending on the, the generation of veteran that we're talking about, basically pre-draft or post-draft, there are different rules and there's different interpretations of what veteran status constitutes. Yeah. Okay. So this place isn't a veteran's housing center. This is a veteran's transition center. We provide transitional housing. Transitional housing. So what is the... I guess, what, what is the distinction between what would just be, say, you know, a warming shelter, a place for people to sleep and wash up, get some hot food, and what you do here? What is the difference? The, a shelter generally is a place where someone's going to come in in the evening, have a, a, a meal, a bed, case management, a warm, safe place to sleep, and then they have to leave the next morning. Mm. Uh, that, that, you know, warming shelter or just an overnight shelter. Uh, very communal, congregate type environment. Um, we have a couple of programs here. We have a residential shelter, which is a short-term facility. You stay for 60 days. Uh, it's extendable out to 180 days, but 60 days is the, is the stay. Um, and you, you live there. You don't have to leave every single evening. 
Uh, you don't have to leave in the mornings. You live there. Yeah. Uh, in a shelter environment, some of our veterans have to share a room. They're not bunk beds, but it's just two beds in a room. Uh, and it's, it's very dignified, respectful yeah. housing. Uh, the transitional housing is up to 24 months long as clinically appropriate. Uh, you have case management. Uh, our housing affords a veteran his or her individual room, lock and key. You share the common areas, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's the case management and the the stability of being in the same environment that really helps someone overcome the barriers to getting housed. A warming shelter or an overnight shelter is meant to just get you off the street during uh, the risky times, which is evening, winter, or something like that. Residential shelters, same thing, but there are fewer of them that are out there, um, and it's, it's, it's another level of triage. Transitional housing is where you really start to see uh, positive movement towards becoming permanently housed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a 24-month period, or even a one-year period, you know, somebody can, can work uh, fix their credit, uh, give up uh, or reduce their substance use, you know, basically talking about harm reduction here, mm-hmm. uh, get a job, start going to school, do things like that, and through the case management team and our housing search team, we can start up, you know, submitting applications six months after you've been in the program with a pretty high probability that you're going to become permanently housed. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've, you've developed an income, you've increased your benefits, uh, and, and we've gotten you, for example, a housing voucher, so now the likelihood of you getting a place and staying housed are very high, as opposed to these shelters where you just don't have enough touch points with people, uh, you don't have the, the frequency, you don't have the stability and continuity where you can say, okay, now tomorrow you're going to come back and we're going to sit down and we're going to apply for this, that, and that. And then uh, the goal for next week is something bigger, and then here's a list of tasks that will get us there, uh, and the, you know, the first big um, uh, metric is uh, six weeks or two months from now, you know, you're going to be gainfully employed, and we're going to help you get all there. It's really hard in a shelter environment, uh, even in our residential shelter. Yeah. It's hard to do that, but that's not the intent of that program. Within our transitional housing program, we have three types or three models of housing. We have a clinical program which is for veterans who have a diagnosis of mental, of mental health uh, disorder or, and or a substance use disorder. And then, we ha- and, and then they have to want to participate in clinical therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, uh, something uh, akin to that. Mm-hmm. We work very closely with the VA clinic uh, for that. Uh, we have a bridge housing program, which is much shorter term it's it's 90 days with extensions uh the intent is that you're a veteran who presents and you already have some type of housing solution in the works you just need a place to stay in the meantime Uh, an example would be uh you know your your former apartment landlord uh raised the rent on you and uh, they've given you notice uh, and you're going to have to leave because you're on a fixed income and you can't afford it, but you still have a voucher, uh, you've, you either need to find a place that takes vouchers or uh, you're on the wait list, but it's going to be two months until, until a, a unit becomes available. In the meantime, you come into the bridge housing program. The last one is sort of a catch-all, and that's our service-intensive housing program. 
uh, and it is a little bit of everything. It's for veterans who might have a substance use problem or a clinical uh, mental health problem who don't want to participate in the clinical housing program uh, or veterans who maybe not don't have a single problem at all or just down on their luck and need a, a warm, safe, stable place they can live until they can get back on their feet. And, and that's not to, not to keep picking on Diego, but that, that's his situation. You know, he, he's generally okay, just lost his housing because he lost his job. Uh, and now we're trying to get him back on his feet. Time for a quick break, during which you're going to hear from Janelle Still about International Women's Day. All right, this is Gabe. I'm here with Janelle Still. And we are about to talk to you about International Women's Day. Janelle, what is Miss doing to celebrate International Women's Day? Hi, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Uh, Miss is hosting a film festival and panel discussion. The film is called Sufra, and it's about women in a refugee camp in southern Lebanon. Um, this film festival is really to celebrate women, uh, refugees, and their achievements, and the life that they've created uh, in this refugee camp. They've lived their entire lives there. And so we're hosting a screening of this film and raising money for them. That's amazing. And I heard that one of our very own will be speaking on this panel. Can You're you tell me correct. more? Correct. Yes. Anab Mohammed. She's a second semester uh, international policy and development student. And she will be speaking on the panel with two other women. That's really exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Me too. So when is this event? Can you tell me exactly where and when we can attend? This is Friday, March 8th, 7 p.m. at Irvine Auditorium. But doors are at 6.30. Yes. Come, show up at 6.30. Come a little early. I mean, this is, we have a lot of community organizations involved as well, probably four of them. And the Muslim Student Alliance here at MISS is also involved. So the word is out. Get there early. Get your seats. This is going to be a well-attended event, I can tell. Yes. So you got to get there early. Make sure you get as close as you can to the front. It's like a rock concert, folks. All right, Janelle, thank you very much. We'll have another message to relay the importance of International Women's Day coming up soon. Until then, Friday, March 8th, 6.30 p.m. Irvine Auditorium. Thanks, Gabe. Thank you, Janelle. You're planning on hopefully introducing a shelter plan in the next month or so. Um, when you started thinking of that, did you think $3.5 million dollars could best be used to serve these people in terms of building a shelter or transitional services? Because th that, that's where I see the crux myself, transition. So that's why I wanted to talk to you. Um, I'm going to have to edit part of this question out because um, if you were to build a homeless shelter into this space, do you think it could serve as a transitional space for not people who aren't veterans and kind of connect them, reconnect them with the housing market eventually? The the, sh the program I'm proposing, and I've, I've socialized this, I haven't put pen to paper yet because we're not really there in the application process. Uh, but what I am, what I've, what I've been having discussions and, and made presentations on, you know, we have a unique opportunity. We're a unique organization, but from a resource standpoint, we have a facility. It's going to cost a lot of money because this is state funding. Uh, so we have to abide by the California prevailing wage uh, policies, which adds about a third to the cost of the project mm -hmm. from a labor standpoint. And we have to make ours, ADA, uh, accessible or compliant. 
Uh, so those two things are going to cost quite a bit of money. The fact that it's a basement and now I've got to make you know, subterranean improvements is going to cost a lot of money. Mm. A, a shelter in a basement, uh, while you could you know, have a very nice, dignified facility uh, that is respectful of you know, the privacy needs, the uh, hygiene, sanitation, laundry, food needs, security needs, uh, storage needs of a homeless community is still going to be a basement. But it's all I can offer. So it would be expensive in that sense. It's best used as a shelter. Uh, we could turn it into even a residential shelter where someone's staying for a longer mm -hmm. period of time and they're actually getting for once some stability and some security. There would be... I, I'm sensitive and I realize there would be a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. so across the, the, the parkway here, we've got a, a multi-million dollar shopping center. Immediately behind that, we've got brand new homes that all start at about $650,000. Mm -hmm. uh, behind this window here, they're going to tear down those barracks buildings, and that's supposed to be more you know, million-dollar housing and a, a five-star boutique hotel overlooking the ocean. Nobody wants a shelter. Yeah. And, that, and I know that. Yeah. And, and all I have to offer is a basement. Now, why am I offering a basement? because no one else has anything on the table. Right. Uh, we, we, we've been to these meetings where people get up there and say, well, if you gave me some money, I would try to find a place. Uh, I have a hope, I have a pipe dream, I have X, Y, and Z. I, I have a facility. We can walk down there and it's a hard stand. I have site control, I've got plans, I've got the water, the parking, the utilities, we own that, which is why I think it's a very competitive and compelling project. Yeah. The problem is it's very expensive because it's in the basement. Um, I, I've had to run the traps and provide due diligence to you know, our... Traps? I've, I've had to just basically double check with, uh, <laughs> with, with other entities. Or yeah, <laughs> no. uh, it's the army coming out of me. Uh, so I've had to double check with, with some of our... Uh, essentially lien holders, because this building and all of our housing mm -hmm. was transferred to us from the federal government gotcha. uh, through what's called the McKinney-Vento Act. So we have some deed restrictions. We right. applied many years ago for the housing uh, under the auspices of give it to us and we will serve homeless veterans. And it was approved. To deviate from that, now it'd have to go back and mm -hmm. ask for permission, essentially. Okay. And we've done that because we have, we have a tight timeline, a compelling project, and the funding is there. Wow, that's great. And asking those questions, the federal government doesn't want us as an organization, or really this building, to incur an additional deed restriction. So we have to be careful of that. Uh, for us to serve the non-homeless community, they would have to approve that because we're currently deed restricted for homeless only. I'm sorry, for homeless veterans only. So for you to serve non-veterans, you mean? I'm you sorry, yes, to, the yeah, non-veterans. Okay. So, so we're, we're pretty confident we could get that approval of being able to serve non-veteran homeless. But I still have to ask the federal government for that permission. Right. It falls within the spirit of the McKinney-Vento Act, mm -hmm. which is to serve homeless. So we could do that. 
Um, I've already been informed that uh, the City of Marina Planning Commission would not approve a separate building. Anywhere? It, on our on property, site. on okay. site. Would not approve a separate building. And I was also informed by the federal government, Health and Human Services, that they would not approve a, an addition to the, to the existing structure. So you can have all the ideas, all the funding, all the, the good intent in the world, and you've got a lot of needles to thread. Right. At least where we are right now. And, I mean, I was doing a little research on the cost of building a new facility. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And the HEAP funding is, you know, of the money that's being brought in, of that $10.5 million only, they were, they were breaking it down in Seaside last week. You know, seven point five is available for capital development. Of that, only so much is even available to actually build something. So what can you do with 3.5? I mean, how many people can well, you Well, I was hoping... I was hoping that I would be allowed to either do an addition to this existing structure above ground mm -hmm. or build a new structure from scratch. Those two would be way cheaper than a basement. Interesting. But they, they were taken off the, the option, the menu. So I'm back to, I've got a basement. So what can I do with $3.5 million? Probably just physically rehab the basement and get it to a point where it is certified for occupancy for say you know uh, 38 single individuals mm -hmm. and eight families now i'd have to solicit either a partner organization or add to the cost of rehabbing the basement in order to get the program cost which now could be either half or more of the entire amount of money that the, that the, mm -hmm. that our continuum of care has for Monterey County. You know, we've got a little over $10 million. If, if the community decides that, that we would be best served by focusing all of our efforts into one facility, this is the facility to do it in. If we're going to kind of try to spread out this funding as much as we can so that there's a little bit of everything, and, and, and don't, I don't want to be dismissive, there are a lot of needs out there, um, then... then a robust, permanent, year-round shelter in the basement of Martinez Hall is probably going to be off the table. Mm. Um, it, it's early in the in the process. I mean, no one's submitted applications yet, but uh, the, the the county-owned trailers in in Seaside. I mean, that that'd be my first choice. It's centrally located. It would be inexpensive to operate. Uh, it's owned by the county. So County-owned trailers, are, that's not the same site that they were talking about in Seaside last week. Yes. It is the same yes. site. But, but yeah, yeah, that's the exact same facility, and you heard the acrimony. Yeah. I mean, really? But, but that's what people were right. pushing back on. I mean, to serve the peninsula, having a place that's a little more centrally located would, be, would, would yeah, make, make so much more sense in terms of transportation. And that facility is already there. The county is going to turn it over to the city for a buck. But the community was yeah. so vehemently against it. I mean, it's it's zoned for it already, and yes. it sounds like you're running into zoning problems here, yes. even in terms I would of have to, expanding. Yes. Exactly, I, I can't expand, and I would have to ask for a a, uh, a change to the shelter overlay, basically a change in zoning, right? Which is doable, but it's just another hurdle, uh, and it's also another way for someone to stop the project in a in a legal. Fair process, right. 
if they if they didn't support it, that's a, that's a way to do it. Uh, and it's almost from a from a from my standpoint, my vantage, I, I'm trying to reduce the exposure because it's the, the more times I get in front of a city councilman who maybe has an, uh, some opposition to it because of some other interests, it, it's just a greater chance that someone's just going to stop it right then and there. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a difficult environment to navigate in. You know, you want to do the right thing, and so many people in the community support you, so long as it's in someone else's community. Yeah. And, and I'm, this is a fixed location. Uh, what we do is serve homeless veterans here at the former Fort Ord, uh, and we don't have the, the capacity, certainly we don't have the desire to take our services elsewhere. We're not a a service provider in the sense that we don't have housing. We have housing. This is my base. There are other organizations that'll that'll travel to wherever their shelter is, wherever they can get the shelter. Uh, so unless it's here, I'm going to be out of the game, which is fine. I gave it. I gave it. You know, and I currently am giving it a good stab. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm offering the communities writ large some options, whether it's the Martinez Hall basement. Um, a duplex that's owned by the city of um, Marina, uh, one of my existing duplexes that I'm kind of a little bit deed restricted by uh, the city of Monterey. I'm 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 going out there and I'm offering solutions. If if having a shelter of some capacity is that much of a compelling need, sign me up. I I'm afraid that I'm going to be hitting a lot of dead ends yeah. over the next month or so. Well, to round this out, I, I can tell what compels you to do this work to provide shelter transitional services for homeless veterans. But if you were, I, I, I heard your appeal to the community in Seaside last week, you know, this is an opportunity for the people of Seaside to make a big difference for the homeless community, for Monterey Peninsula at large. Uh, obviously, that sometimes falls on deaf ears or very fearful ears. How would you incentivize a community to start caring for its most vulnerable members? Where would you begin? Uh, having, it's a great question, having community members or just people realize that the homeless aren't transparent. You don't look through them when they're panhandling. You look at them. You make eye contact. You realize that that is just another person, like my kids, like you and your parents. The difference is that that individual doesn't have a mortgage, doesn't pay a rent, doesn't you know maybe have a place to live. In in many other countries around the world, that homeless person could be living like a king because they've got a tent or a car to live in. So it's a matter of perspective, for one. Uh, we need to educate our community members, our communities, that homelessness is out there, and it's not a pariah, it's not, just because you're homeless doesn't mean that you're drug-addled or nuts. There might be some factors, but look, I, I, <laughs> I'm nuts. You know, who's not, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty just, normal. Yeah, yeah wait, wait for the next Christmas dinner and look across the table and go, wow, Uncle Harry's nuts. And he has a substance use problem. Hit the difference is Uncle Harry's housed. Uh, so that's where I'd start, uh, is educating everyone else. Um, 
God, yeah, that was a great question. I had. I mean, the thing, it's hard to find an answer, though. That's the thing, because getting people to care. First of all, getting them to care. Yeah. And then making people understand that this isn't something that is expensive or hard to do. Let's think about it as an investment in our community, not a cost. Yeah, the economic argument is a strong one. Yeah, it keeps you out of a hospital. I haven't heard it It yet. It keeps you... Yes. And... and, (laughs) That's, I don't know there, why the that wrong, hasn't come the, up in Seaside. There's, that conversation is happening. It just isn't happening in this forum here when we're talking about how to yeah. use this heat money. Uh, it already occurred at the state level, and the governor then, uh, Governor Brown, realized it. That mm-hmm. if, if I spend, if I invest $500 million, half a billion dollars of state revenue, we might, or, or state uh, funding, we might keep people out from... ERs who might not have to build Blue Cross Blue Shield or Cal uh, CalMed or MediCal, yeah. excuse me. So, so people realize that, and that conversation already took place. That's why the money came to begin with. It's just at this level, it's really about how are we going to spend it and where are we going to spend it, not if we need to spend it. Yeah. Uh, but, but regardless, that's a conversation that I think needs to be had on a more broader on a more broad level and more often is that this, you know. Addressing homelessness is an investment in your community. It's an investment in the people. Uh, it's an investment in the, in the economy. It makes an area more, uh, more vital. It makes it cleaner. It makes it healthier for all in many respects. Uh, so th- that needs to be done. So we need to educate folks. We need to make them realize that this is an investment, not a cost. And lastly, it's the right thing to do, and it's not hard. Uh, I, I hate the fact when I look, I was up in San Francisco not too long ago, and my, you know, I've got a little son and daughter, and they, they love driving back and forth over the Golden Gate Bridge. And this is the thing, the thing that was built with analog technology in 1933. It took four years, from 33 to 37, over some pretty treacherous waters using absolutely analog technology. We built this thing that still stands today. And... and hundreds of thousands of tourists cross that thing and they marvel at it, yet we have hundreds of thousands of homeless people. Why can't we build something for them? Why was it that in 1969 we we sent a guy to the moon and brought him home using less computing power that's on your iPhone? we, We could do that, but we can't house people. So it's not that there's a lack of resources. I really fundamentally think that there, it's just a lack of will. It's a lack of our individual municipalities wanting to do something. They're hoping someone else will. It, it, it goes back to NIMBY. We need to move on from those, yeah. those kind of parochial excuses, the infighting, the... the the hope that someone else will take care of it, and, and I, you know, my city, my city council, my, I won't have to do anything about it, and therefore my political future is guaranteed. The will is lacking. The resources are there, and in this case, with you know, half a billion dollars, what's the excuse? Yeah. Yet, here at my level, where I'm proposing projects, I run into excuse after excuse as to why something can't be done, and, and I. I acknowledge that some of them are, you know, things like deed restrictions. Okay, that, that is a real-life problem I have. But at least someone's willing to have that conversation with me and say, well, 
it's not that I don't want to help you, it's that I can't help you. Okay, I get that. Other people in other organizations and municipalities don't want to help. They don't want to be problem, a, a part of the local solution. They're hoping someone else is going to have to solve it for them. And, and that, as a, as a veteran, as someone who's spent two decades in, in, the, in the military, in the Army, that's not an excuse I like to hear. We're not used to, eh, take the hill, but not now. Like, I get a very can-do yeah, vibe. It, and then that, we're, we're veterans. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're used to do. And, and sometimes, yeah, is it better to ask for forgiveness than, than permission? Yeah, but it's kind of hard to do with a multi-million dollar homeless shelter. Yeah. Uh, we, we, I just want to solve the problem. I, I want to be part of that. I want to contribute. Uh, and then I want to move on to service the next target whatever that's going to be. Maybe it's going to be a larger facility. Maybe it's going to be something new, uh, built someplace else. Maybe we're targeting a different type of homeless uh, demographic. We're talking kids or women. Right. But we're, we're kind of stalled going round and round on where the shelter should be. And a year ago, if you ask, if you ask everyone who's in, who's in, the, in, the, in the, the homeless service community, meaning the providers, we all know the answer. We just have to get support for what we know is right. Yeah. And that support is is lacking, and it's kind of sad, and it goes back to we haven't done a good job of educating everyone, and that's some of it, actually a large, large part of that's on us. We haven't done a good job of educating the community that not so much the problem exists that the problem is solvable mm. and it can be done in a way that it doesn't hurt um, the tax base, it doesn't hurt businesses, mm. uh, that we can do it, that we're the right folks to do it, uh, that the funding is there already so it's not an additional cost to a community uh, and that we've got the will to do it. If you just step out of the way, we can get it done. But you know, a year ago, we didn't know this was going to be happening. We didn't know that we were going to have this unique opportunity to solve a unique problem. Or at least begin solving it. Yeah, begin yeah. solving it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have been saying that, you know, it's only $10.5 million. But it's more than it's more than zero, and it is an opportunity. It's and more than we've ever had, ever had. So if not now, when? If not here, where? These are the questions I'm asking mm-hmm. myself, and I... I've got to go to Marina tonight. What's in? What's happening? It's in a Marina? city council meeting uh, oh, where they just want to. My thoughts, but kind of late to the game since the applications start next month. Uh, they're kind of saying, you know, much like the other municipalities that have sat and had either a town hall meeting or some yeah. kind of city council discussion. Marina's going to have their city council discussion tonight. Uh, I'll be there. I'm going to ask them in a pretty frank way. Do you want to partner with us and be part of this solution? Or am I better off finding other ways to help our community? Basically, you want to get on board or not? Because I need their support. I cannot move forward unless I have their support. Yeah. Um, and uh, there, there are other things that we can do. I just want to know, do you want me to help you or not? It's not about me. It's not about the Veterans Transition Center. 
uh, we're talking about serving the non-veteran community on, on the Monterey Peninsula uh, and North County. And I'm happy to be part of that solution. I'm happy to be part of that conversation, but I can't have it by myself. Um, tomorrow night at Seaside, it'll be very interesting to see how they vote. Um, you know, that, that, that town hall meeting that you and I attended last week was pretty interesting. Sure was. Uh, and it was, it was clear that they did not, or had not done a good job up till then of informing the public. It seemed like the process was more of a problem than anything else. And no matter what they were saying, that it's not a done deal, no matter what they could say, the public's feel about it wasn't going to change. So. Yeah, it, it, this is a wonderful area to live. Um, but because it's a small town, even though it's a whole, you know, it's a peninsula with uh, you know, nearly 60,000 people on it, you've got a whole bunch of smaller towns. And how these towns came about is interesting in and of itself. But you've got some old families and some older elected officials that have known each other for a long time. They've interacted with each other a long time. And uh, people remember they have memories. You know, you burned me way back then. You lied to me before. You're lying to me now. Whoa, where's this coming from? It, it's a small town politics yeah. in a way. I guess we have to revive the trust a little bit. Trust and faith that there are people with genuinely good intentions. It's a, and, and just be transparent about it. Yeah. Be transparent about it. Uh, which is why I'm hoping to just be transparent with the city and say, hey, I'm willing to partner with you. I need you to partner with me. We can solve this problem together. If not, I'm going to move on. No hard feelings. Um, we've got other things to do. Uh, I just want to know one way or the other. Do you want to be on board to address the homeless problem, the homelessness problem in, in your community? Well, Jack, I appreciate your transparency with me. Yeah, uh, this is been wildly informed. No, likewise, yeah. and I, I, you know, feel free to, to reach out if you want to talk to some other veterans, uh, other people in uh, the homeless services community. I'm not a homeless professional. I'm not a yeah. clinician. I'm, I'm a guy who just wanted to try to solve some problems. Well, here's to that. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Jack. Thank you again to Jack for taking the time to sit down and explain all of that to me and to respond to the questions that an MPA student has about how to best serve the homeless community using the resources available. You listeners, you can expect more about homelessness and affordable housing here on Miss Radio. It seems to be something that we do, and that's mostly because it's very important to me. It's important to Angelo, it's important to Emmy. But we also want to know what's important to you. Let us know. And this has been working. Whenever I say this at the end of these episodes, Within the next couple days, somebody will come up to me with an idea, and I want that to keep happening. Come up to me. Come up to Angelo. Approach Emmy. We're all very receptive. We want to hear your ideas. Thank you for listening to Miss Radio. We'll be back again soon.